Welcome to today's episode of the John Papaloni Show. This is episode 56. Today, I am interviewing Drasco from the 10X Norm. Drasco, welcome to the uh, show. Thanks, John. I'm uh, excited to be here. Uh, yeah, me as well. As well, this is this is a great one. I was, um, you know, looking your uh, looking at your YouTube earlier, and I thought it was pretty interesting. So, when we start the show, why don't we start with a brief introduction of who you are and what you do? Yeah. So, my name is Drasco, and I run 10knorm.com, which is all about helping heart-centered entrepreneurs uh, transcend all of the blind spots that essentially keep them from thinking, feeling, acting, and authentically marketing so they can normalize their own versions of 10K Norm, um, which is exactly what it's all about. So it's both a podcast and a coaching program by the same name that deals with those exact same themes. Um, so, I mean, I'm more than happy to dive deeper into that, or is there any particular place you want me to? Oh, please do. Please do. Yeah, so basically um, kind of how that whole thing came about is – uh, I, I owned a brick and mortar weight loss center for 10 years before that business ended up imploding uh, very much due to my own like emotional blind spots. Uh, ironically, it happened right before Corona hit. So it, it would have kind of imploded anyway, whether from external circumstance or my own. Uh, but it was one of those situations was a blessing in disguise, uh, not just because of the Corona, but because it sparked what has now become 10K norm. And just to kind of sum it up in general, um everything that went wrong with that business because of the inner challenges that i wasn't aware of has now become the cornerstone of the coaching that i do so everything from managing the thoughts and the feelings and how to self-coach your way through them um to also learning how to focus on the things that are actually going to move you forward and combining that with the actual marketing tactics to uh progress forward and create your own 10k norm is, is basically what i'm about so i'm happy to dive into any of those uh subjects so yeah let's we'll take it from there right okay so yeah okay so yeah i i think this uh whole thing has affected everybody but um it's kind of funny how they correlated with you know with this craziness and everything just happened at the same time it, it, it did. And like I said, I mean, it, I think it was for that business to end and for, to, for it to birth this new one, uh, I think it was inevitable, right? Because so much of what I was operating on at that time was, you know, I, I basically I went to business school and graduated and quickly learned like, like the nine to five life wasn't for me. And I was involved in martial arts for a long time and was teaching martial arts. And at that time I had this kind of crisis of, you know, what am I going to do? And it was like, okay, I really like teaching. I really like coaching. Why don't I see if I get paid for that? And that was kind of the catalyst for how I got into fitness. And I just kind of figured out as it went along, I learned, okay, Martial arts isn't the best for like, uh, you know, actually getting people to lose weight. So I got certified nutrition. I got certified in personal training and that really birthed the, the ground for like, how do I actually work with people? And the studio actually specialized in kind of like the quote unquote hard cases. So what I mean is like people have struggled with a lifelong uh, issues with regards to their weight how do you separate the the weight loss from the actual like how do you separate the emotions from the food it is basically what we specialize in while also doing all the exercise and nutrition and stuff at the studio and that you know became my testing ground for like how do i actually coach people and a lot of what i do in 10k norm right now is like i have all of these business things that i want to implement i'm not doing it what is the gap between those two like to me that was always an infinitely more interesting problem to solve than the just like the tactics or the mechanics of it and how that relates back to like my own business and, and why it ultimately imploded is i never actually asked myself any of the questions that, that, that i ask people now right like i was building a studio based off of what i felt like the studio should be so i just replaced what you know, like somebody was telling me in a nine to five, like, this is what you need to do to say, climb the ladder. I just basically took on, this is what a studio should look like. This is why I need to do it. So a lot of the like sentiments that I had working in the background were like, I 
don't actually like if I could just save enough people, then I could actually like save myself. Right. But I was actually the one responsible for that. So like that was like a big piece of it. Um, and ironically, that led into me becoming really good at marketing because I got so good at marketing to the pain that all we kept attracting was like victims. Like it just like random stuff would happen. Like I'd have somebody come in, they were like excited to do stuff. And it's like, okay, then they went into surgery the next week. It's like, they could cancel their membership. And then we were pretty expensive too, but it's just like these things just kept accumulating that ultimately objectively imploded the business. But I know like subjectively, there was a lot of inner stuff that kept happening that I really repeated all those patterns in it. So in many ways it was inevitable and it was a blessing in this skies on the Corona bit. Um, but it was also the springboard to what makes me really good at, at you know, helping the coaches that, that I help now. Right. Okay. So, so are you saying coaches are your main target or your main business? Not targets. I mean, there's no X on the person's back. I mean, but your main, uh, you know, audience. So yeah, heart center entrepreneurs is kind of how I like to uh, encompass it. And that includes a lot of coaches, uh, a lot of different healers, wellness professionals, intuitives, uh, spiritually inclined individuals who are helping others heal. Like that generally is the the, the biggest people that I serve. Um, in many ways, because I identify myself as being in that group. And also I feel like that group from what I've noticed and from my own path, it's like they're very good at the giving aspects of it, not as much on the receiving and the structure aspects. And I do a very good job of being able to navigate both. Uh, so it's just been like, yeah, like th these are my people. This is who I want to matter to the most and who I'm most capable to help. Right. Well, what would you say was your biggest challenge? With regards to building, the, like, the make this change, you know what I mean? Like, was it was a like was it an emotional challenge, or was was it a um, a building challenge? Like, like, because let's face it, when you start off in one business and it implodes, it, it, I mean, whether it was time, whether you were ready for it, whether it was your choice, whether you were prepared, whether it was sudden and unexpected. Regardless, because when you build something, it's personal and it's personal to everybody. And the ones that say it's not are usually just trying to, you know, hold back their feelings. But the reality is it's personal. And and you always, you know, like and a lot of times you take it personal. So making that change, you do out of necessity. You do it out of, out of something you learn, like you said. But again, there's that emotional aspect. What you know was there was that the hardest part, or was it uh, actually figuring out what you wanted to do, or was it actually building it? Like, where did you struggle the most with that? Uh, well, I would say all of the above <laughs> is the short answer. Uh, more specific and longer answer, it was like I, if you had asked me, you know, a couple of years ago, like, is it harder to start a second business or do your first one? I'd be like, yeah, of course it's your first one because you don't know what you're doing. I now would actually say it's way harder to do the second time around because the first time I just did stuff and some stuff worked, some stuff didn't. And I just kind of followed the breadcrumbs of, of what worked the second time around. It's like, you know what needs to happen. So I think there's that sentiment of, okay, so like, not only do I know like the, the, the work involved, but there's also the additional baggage of what I had to let go of in terms of like, you know, what What does it mean to be a failure in this instance? Uh, separating my worth from my bank account, separating like the, you know, resentment or grief of like, I've spent 10 years into this thing that, that imploded, right? Who am I if I'm not a successful entrepreneur, right? Essentially, like if my identity was rooted in making this thing succeed, which is ironically why it kind of fit, because I was just pushing, pushing, pushing and not looking at the red flags that was a lot of the reason why it imploded. So you, now you have to take the resolution and the healing and the letting go of all that emotional baggage to begin to create a new. And if you're creating a new, you're not, you don't have like a clean slate anymore. Cause before it was just, I don't want to do a nine to five. So anything is better than that. But now it's like every step I take reminds you of all of the things you didn't do. So a lot of what I wish I had at that time and in the previous business in relation to the self-regulation. So how do I manage those emotions? How do I manage the narratives? How do I manage the thoughts? How do I get myself to do the next step? How do I 
not self-sabotage? How do I not get into these doom loops where I just don't do anything? How do I avoid the addictive type behaviors of, you know, distraction and going down like it's easier to like stuff myself with food than it is to actually face what's in front of me. Emotionally, that's what made the transition hard. Um, and that's what also made the clarity hard because I didn't actually go right away into 10K norm. Uh, what happened is when the business, uh, like the studio imploded, I actually built that business more from paid advertising than I did from organic, which is very opposite to what most fitness studios do. It's like a very referral based business. I had very little referrals internally, but most of my uh, clients came from just being really good at funnels and Facebook advertising, et cetera. So when it imploded, I ended up actually doing a lot of like paid media implementation. So building out funnels and ads for other coaches uh, that became other online businesses afterwards. And then I realized, cause I was like very, I'm like, I don't need to like coach anymore. It's like almost like a PTSD type of thing. Like I don't want anything to do with it. Uh, but then I realized like, marketing and the implementation and the ads was just something I was very good at, but it wasn't like where my heart was. So letting go of that emotional baggage, making something else work, like this kind of like agency type thing gave me the space to really realize like, no, like I really, what I get lit up, what like at my core is what I'm about is helping people make their own best versions of themselves right so that's when i decided to get back into coaching and really helping the like human evolve behind the entrepreneur that's what 10k norm is about and i combined that with the marketing piece that i was good at and you know i i feel like it is one thing in the market that that's kind of missing uh but that was the the path to, to get me here and what the most challenging parts were right right Okay, so yeah, I get that. So um, what was I going to say now? Um, okay, yeah, you're, you're right, though. A lot of times when things happen, it's very easy to turn to food. Like that yeah. caught my attention quite a bit because sometimes, you know, like I, I, I've been there. I think we all have. Yeah, 100%. It's definitely one of my um, like coping strategies uh, that I've learned and, and practiced to like transcend. Uh, but like it, it almost doesn't like those addictive patterns. Like it doesn't matter if it's like food or Netflix or video games or gambling or drugs. They they all follow the the same arc, which is when we have narratives or don't have the practice to sit with what is food and any of these other vices are extremely reliable at numbing that piece, which is why it's so hard to get rid of them because the alternative is I have to sit with whatever's making me uncomfortable. So that's why it's never, and the reason people always fail at transcending these things and kind of getting rid of it is not because like we're playing the wrong game. Like we're playing the diet game, we're playing the discipline game, we're playing the habits game. The, the real game to play and the real game to win is actually being better at managing my thoughts and being better to manage my emotions and being better able to sit with the urges, right? Like urges by default have an urgency in them. I have to feel like, like I have to eat and go to food or I have to go to video games or whatever the thing is. Getting the tolerance up and getting like improving the capacity to sit with that is the right game to play in those instances. And yeah, I agree with you. It's a hundred percent common. Like pretty much everybody does it. It's just a matter of what your vice is to, to do it because it's easier to do right like it's like trying to control your mind and trying to like not take it personally or not feel emotional about it is real conscience and when you're feeling bad you don't want to think that you don't want to worry about it so you just go by default and your default is like you said whether it's food drugs alcohol whatever right sure. so it's just the easier path and then people fall by it and then they say i shouldn't have done that when it's too late so yeah, I agree with you that that it's default, right? That it is like our kind of motivation triad follows three different things, right? Pleasure seeking, avoiding pain, and repeating the default. Why? Because the default has already been proven to keep us alive despite whatever the long-term consequences are. So that part I agree with you. And the reason why we go to these things is because, you know, having the cookie 
we know isn't going to kill you short term, despite the fact that we understand it's going to affect me long term. Where I think I would add a clarification to the easier bit, I agree, I agree with you. That is the past of least resistance, one hundred and ten percent. Yes, that's what I meant by easy. Correct. But I, I'm always very conscious of the words that I use or the words that people use because the narrative of it's easier means that the alternative is harder. The reality is it is harder to live in the suffering and consequence of all of those choices cumulatively, right? So what does that develop in me chronically, the guilt that I have afterwards, the lack of discipline that I feel, it is harder to live in that state even though it is the path of least resistance and comfort. Absolutely, absolutely. But my point of it was that's that's after the fact. When you're going through that emotion, it, like you said, it's the path of least resistance. So what ends up happening is you don't feel the guilt and that pain till after the fact. Correct. And that's like it, those things are relieving, which is why right. we do them. And then it is the suffering afterwards that we don't like. Which and makes it worse than where you started. It is. It is. Uh, but it's all again. The, the reason is it's the path of least resistance because the alternative is we, we live in the discomfort of what's behind the reason that why we want to do these vices. That part is harder to experience. But ultimately, it's like that quote, right? Like we can make the hard choices for an easy life. Right. Or we can have a hard life with the easy choices. Very right? true. And that's kind of the distinction here where I fully understand and, and, and respect the fact that it is hard to sit with the, like to see what's behind the urges every time you want that cookie when something isn't going wrong. It, it, it is infinitely hard. That's why we go for the cookie. But we also have to be honest with ourselves that not making that choice is actually what's creating the harder life because there's more suffering there than the immediate discomfort we'll go through to face those emotions. Right. That's true. That's true. I, I I get that point. So I was going to ask you something along that. Oh, well, you know what? I'll move on. So, okay. So now one thing I like, what I want to ask you is like, okay, I, I look, you got into a podcast, you got your website. Was the podcast part of your strategy or is that like in, from the beginning or is that something that, uh, you know, sort of happened uh, as an afterthought? Like, how did you come up with the podcast and what would you say is your uh, most effective uh, tool you know, for your business so far? So yeah, the podcast was an interesting development. Uh, the program started first. The, the, the program was, you know, what I went into the whole time. Um, the podcast actually something that my girlfriend suggested. She's like, you really need to do a podcast. Like you, you're really good at talking about this stuff. People need to like hear you speak. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't really like, like I personally don't listen to a lot of podcasts. I actually prefer video. So like I'm much more engaged that way. Um, it just felt inauthentic to do it. If I don't like listen to it, like, what am I going to talk about? So she's like, no, like she just kept going. Like you really should do, cause she listens to a lot of podcasts. Like, you know, you're no different than these people that I listen to. I'm like, okay, if I'm going to do this, then I want this to be a resource. I want it to be something that people can go back to. It's like evergreen. Uh, and even if somebody isn't working with me, then if I do the podcast, I want it to be like, they can go to it, get something of benefit, whether or not they decide to work with me. So. I sat down and I was like, okay, what's important here isn't starting the podcast. That's pretty easy. Like you just literally hit record and now it's set up that you can like literally just post right away. It is the act of doing it consistently that's going to get me the success that I'm looking for. So I'm like, okay, if I can actually do this, then I need to prove to myself that I can do it. So I sat down and I'm like, okay, if I can't come up with a hundred episode ideas that I would talk about by myself with no guests, then I, I shouldn't do this. And I sat down and I ended up coming up with 104 like podcast ideas of what I would talk about. So I was like, okay, there, there is something here. And I started and I recorded my first set, uh, went very well, went very smoothly. I, I was surprised at how much like I liked it. Um, and then I got into this thing of like, okay, I, I know I'm not like that known yet that people are coming to me. Like it takes time to establish that I'm cool with it. But it just felt like there was a lot of friction in doing the typical like reach out, et cetera, because in, in this space, whether it's marketing or coaching or whatever, like there's just a lot of noise. Right. And I get it. So I'm like, OK, well, what if I use the podcast to get out of that noise? 
what if I use that as an illustration of like what I can actually do for people? So I got the idea to basically make the segment uh, that I call the Real Talk segment, where I take heart-centered entrepreneurs under 10K months who are struggling with the thinking, feeling, acting, and authentically marketing, and just bring them on and coach them through whatever the challenge was that they're experiencing currently towards their 10K norm. Uh, and that ended up being an extremely good way to like showcase what it is that I'm doing and I'm refining you know, how those episodes go and who I bring on. Uh, but that's been the primary way that now I demonstrate, hey, this is what I can do for you. Uh, if you want to go further down that road, like we can do it. But now it's like that there's this asset that lives online to just show, you know, I I'm not just talking about it. Here it is uh, actually doing it. Right, right. So which gonna, which leads into my next question. Like when someone is in that position where they're looking for help, what is the process with you? Like, how, like, is it one of those things like, which, yeah, I would say, what's the process? Somebody contacts you and you know they call you email you whatever you're on the phone where do you go from there so well i think first things first and this applies i think for me and for anybody else that's in a space where they're doing some coaching or consultative type of thing uh, i think it's very important to not work with everybody um the the reason for it is once you're clear on exactly who it is that you want to work with you have to set and then maintain those boundaries, right? Because if you know exactly who you can help, then you need to be sure that the person sitting in front of you is actually the person that you can help. So to answer your question more specifically, how I do that, um, on the podcast, they, they have a preview of what it is that I can do for them, right? So th th that is its own thing. If they choose to uh, speak with me afterwards, what I always go through is I really don't look at sales as like sales where I'm trying to convince somebody of something. I look at that first uh, conversation that we have about potentially working together as my exploration of where are they now, right? So what's currently happening in their life? Do they realize what the consequences of that are if they don't change? Do they have the realization of how it's affecting them day to day? Do they have the realization that maybe it's affecting somebody else? How is it stopping them to not be, you know, at that 10K level and do all of those things? Like really get clear on what their current situation is, the ripple effects of that current situation in their life. See where it is that they want to go. How clear is their vision? Do they even understand it? Because oftentimes it'll be, well, I just don't want what's happening right now. Moving away from something is not the same as moving towards something. Right. So I help them refine. Okay. What is that? I, I look for the. So, like, when I do it, like, I'm looking for key phrases and keywords that show that they actually want to change. Right. Like, I'm committed to doing this. I want to live this particular way. I want to have this particular experience versus more kind of nebulous language of it'd be nice to have this. It'd be nice to have that. Like, that person likely isn't ready to make the kind of transformation that I offer and that um, I, I think is needed. Right. So, once I know where they are, once I know where they want to go, my job is to simply diagnose what the gap is, right? So given everything that you said, I see that you need to work through X, Y, and Z. Um, and really at that point, it, it's the invitation, right? Like these are the problems that I see from my own experience and my own perspective. You're gonna have to solve these regardless of whether you choose to go with me or somewhere else, um, you know, are you ready to, to actually do this, right? So then it just becomes a more a conversation with an invitation to cross that gap, uh, which I know, like at that point, I know I can help them. And if I see that they th have things in their gap that I don't do, then I just say, okay, cool. Like, I'm not the person for you, but you know, you got some clarity out of this call. So in like a grand conversational scheme of things, that is how, uh, I actually do the, the next step, um, of that process. 100% agree with you on everything you just said there, right? Because a lot of times I find personally that a lot of people are looking for some, uh, silver bullet, some shortcut, and they're not, what happens is they're not finding that shortcut for themselves. So they're reaching out, looking for someone who can give them the shortcut. And the reality is the truth is there is no shortcut success and growth only comes with effort and it, and it usually comes with doing what you don't want to do. 
Yeah, a hundred percent. And I mean, I, I always like I, I look at things a lot. Like everything I look at it sometimes to my detriment is like very deep. So I, I agree with you with the shortcut bit. The way that I experience that and the way that I interpret that is like what is the mindset or the conscious level of the person in front of me? Uh, I think the the shortcut aspect is really somebody on the other side is in a very reactive consciousness. Like, you know, so they'll be very prone to like the Carmen's, like the car salesman type bits, right? So I was gonna last for 24 hours. If you don't do this now, like you're gonna fail. It's actually like, I don't work with those types of people because if they're reactive then they're gonna expect me to like basically hold their hand to, to continue to be reactive. So that's not my people. Um, and the other bit, and I've actually been guilty of this in the past as well is, the sentiment of rescue. Like if I pay this person, if I buy this course, if I read this book, if I say this mantra long enough, if I say these affirmations or you know whatever the thing is, then it's gonna get me out of this situation. That is somebody who's rooted in powerlessness and is looking to be rescued. I also don't like to work with those types of people because it's not an equal energetic exchange. Like my job is to be a guide, it's to illuminate your blind spots but that's all I can do, right? I actually can't walk that path for you. And it's like you said, sometimes that, many times that path involves doing a lot of the things that you don't want to do because if you didn't want to do them, we wouldn't be having this conversation to begin with. So part of that process of why I go through all those things is to actually look at, okay, is this person in the right mindset and the right commitment level that I can actually help them in addition to the mechanical things of like, you know, Let's say if somebody I'm talking to and they're like, I like the mindset stuff, but I'm really looking to like scale my team to a million dollars or whatever. I'm like, I can help you with the mindset stuff, but I'm not the right person for you to, to, to do those pieces. Like that's a different mechanical, tactical problem to solve. And I'm not interested in solving it. So yeah, I think they're, you're right on point with regards to the shortcut. I, I see that more as like, what's the mindset that somebody's at? Makes total sense. Now, again, like everyone goes through uh, different things in life. Like, obviously, I know what happened with the studio and then how you got into uh, into the um, coaching business. But growing up, did you always know you wanted to work for yourself? Like, was it all or, or you know, I mean, because we all get programmed with the same thing. Go to school to get a good education so you can get a good job. Right. And, and that's the same programming everybody gets, whether you want it or not. Um, so did you start off? you know, accepting that programming and looking towards things like that? Or did you know right away from a young age? A hundred percent. I went into the programming uh, that that's by far been my path. And it, it's the, the path subsequent to it was more of a unlearning than it was a like a living of that. Um, the only thing I did know from early on was like, I, I didn't like people telling me what to do. Uh, <laughs> that Like, even though I like I had a lot of jobs growing up, like that was always like a like I was good at following rules, but internally I, I didn't like following rules that I didn't really like agree with, or I didn't see the practicality of it. So that was always like an internal uh, struggle. So I knew that piece and, and I can see how that led to me being uh, an entrepreneur, like relatively early on, like after I finished school, but in terms of the programming, 110%, I, I bought into that. Like, you know, like I wasn't born in Canada, like I was an immigrant. So full on, like, immigrant type uh, mentality of like, you go to school, you get good marks. My parents pushed me to be in like the gifted class and like, it was like marks above all else. So I bought into that and like, I like learning. So I wasn't like, I wasn't even questioning because I, I just, I just like to learn. So a lot of these things kind of came naturally, but like getting into university and getting into like a business program and going through all of that, like I forced my way to go through that because I, I was disconnected from a lot of the stuff that that, that I was learning. Um, and then as soon as I got into like a job, it was just like more and more internally or just like it was getting more and more miserable to be in this type of environment. Like it was almost I'd rather go and fail than, you know, shut this down and then not take that step. So for me, it was more about the unlearning of all of that. But and a lot of my wounding and a lot of the the reasons why the business actually imploded was I didn't unlearn as much stuff as I thought. Like I was focused on the tactics, not the inner like self-regulation pieces. 
which I, I hit the plateau of that. Like the the studio was only going to go so far until I addressed those pieces. That's exactly what happened. So yeah, a hundred percent, I bought into those. Yeah, I, I think most of us do. I mean, I was rebellion all the way through, but rebelling and not doing are two different things. Yeah. Right? I was rebelling and I'd fight it all the way through. But, you know, your parents say jump, you jump. <laughs> right? Yeah. So especially being from an immigrant family, you definitely jump with the immigrant family says jump. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the pressure is a bit different when uh, you know, there's, there's a smacking coming up. Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> that was awesome. But, yeah, like I agree with you. Even from a young age, I knew. I knew from a young age. It just, you know, it's not for everybody. You know, like there's nothing wrong with it. People working nine to five, great gives you a steady paycheck you know some people go more mental going through what we go through uh, you know what i mean like because the uncertainty 100 uh, and i mean i think it's ultimately comes down to like if you are truly truly living a life where you're happy like who cares whether you're, you're an entrepreneur or not like there's a lot of toxic things about the like standard entrepreneurial culture like killing yourself to work like i've gone through burnout twice you know like if you're happy and you're like a Gary V type where you just like go, 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 cool, like all the power to you. Most of us are not. And it's irrelevant whether that gets expressed as like a job or it gets expressed as uh, like entrepreneurship. But there's many jobs where you work the same hours as entrepreneurship and people are miserable or they're happy. Right? Like lawyers work a lot and there's a lot of miserable lawyers, but there's also a lot of happy lawyers, right? Same thing with doctors or accounts or whatever. Like, I think it ultimately just comes down to, again, what game are you trying to win? If you're winning the game of significance and if you're winning the game of like, you know, I need to make X amount in order to be okay, or I need to show off my bends or whatever, like you're going to lose because the external things are never going to give you what you're looking for, right? So, there's other ways to win that game and entrepreneurship is one path to get there, but it's certainly not, not the only one. Right. So I want to touch on something here, as you said, right. And I think this has become in a way the brick wall that's holding people back, right? They're, they believe, you know, it's that I'll be happy when I get that Benz. I'll be happy when I make that hundred thousand. I'll be happy when I get that promotion. And it's always, I'm going to be happy on the next step. It's never, I'm happy with what I have. You have to, and I believe if you look through the eyes of gratitude, you kind of have what you need already. Everything else you can just work towards. You can't buy things or find things to make you happy. You have to just be happy. Now, there's people out there, like you said, there's lawyers that are miserable, right? And there's people out there, there's business people that are filthy rich, making 100, 200, 300, 400 million dollars a year and friggin' miserable, right? And then there's people making $43,000 a year. And they're the happiest person on the planet. And I think this misguided, you know, mentality that we've been given and taught through society should be, you know, changed. It's not the way we should look at things. I think the ultimate goal should be happiness, whatever that happiness is to you. And I think that's internal, not external. And I think that's the first thing people need to figure out in order to know where, you know, what steps to actually take, because how do you know where to go if you don't know what, 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 what will make you happy? Right. 110%. I mean, in this is like, you're definitely preaching to the choir. Um, I, I agree with you. I've gone down the road of trying to chase that and only led to, to, to misery and the imploding of something that I spent 10 years building. So I know the distortion of that. And, I agree with you, the gratitude piece, and this is certainly something that I'm working to like really embody more and more. And the definition of gratitude that, that I really like is like one that just rooted in like enough. Because if you think about it, if I view the lens of everything that's here right now through enough, you start to begin to see the truth of it. Like if I'm looking at things, okay, I should have been this or I resent this, et cetera, that's actually a falsehood. You can be nowhere but where you are because you are nowhere except for where you are, right? Like everything that happened, happened. It could have happened any other way because it didn't. So if I'm spending time looking at, well, I regret this, I shouldn't have done this, et cetera, you're actually denying what is and you're saying, well, what's here is actually not enough. 
the reality is it actually always is enough. It's enough for you to breathe. It's enough for you to have like the basics that we talk about. It's enough for you to take the next step and change it. It's enough for you to witness what you're doing. It's enough for you to be present. It's enough for you to make a new thought, make a different choice, make a different action. So everything is actually enough for you to move towards where you want. Right? People always say, oh, well, if I focus on enough, then like I can never like achieve the, the next thing or whatever. I'm like, well, how's that working for you? Because the people that I see that are really living in gratitude enough, like they're never saying, oh, I have to like discipline myself more to like get more. It's usually the people that lack that are like, oh, I have to discipline myself more. So I actually invite people to consider like, that's actually just judgment of what's in front of you. You are not looking at, you have enough to take the next step. Nobody's saying deny your uh, desires because they move you forward, but you can move towards your desires and be happy with the experience of like where you're at. Like you can be broke and I was here. Like I learned to realize that if like I'm more than what's in my bank account, I still have enough to move forward, right? Like I have relationships that supported me through that time. I wasn't out living in the streets, right? Because of the, like who I am and the relationships that I've had, that is enough to begin to move forward. And like, I'm living that right now. Like my situation is 10 million times better than it was at that time. But it's just like enough, 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 enough. Doesn't mean to not strive for different experiences. It just means I'm not judging what was or, or like what is. And that's a, that's a subtle, but a very big distinction. 100%. And, and, you know, like to be clear, right? I mean, I my even my statement is not a judgment of other people because I'll tell you something. I've been so broke that the only reason I wasn't living in the streets or, you know what I mean, or worse or any of this stuff was because I was living with my parents. And, you know, you're, you know how it is, European parents, you don't leave until you get married. Right? Yeah. So... But if it wasn't for that, there's no way I would have survived. You know what I mean? I wouldn't have even had food in the fridge, let alone have a place to live. So I've been that end. And I've, and I, and I've been in uh, my marketing business, which uh, did eight figures a year. I mean, remember, people are going for six. I didn't have six. I didn't have seven. I had eight. Well, I was just a touch shy of eight. You know what I mean, but, but yip-de-doo. I think you get the point. So I've been on both sides of the fence. I'm going to tell you something. Because my ultimate goal was material, I had a debate with myself on which side I was more miserable on. Right. So to me, that's an eye opener. Yeah. Right. I wasn't always grateful. I was pissed off because I didn't get this. I was pissed off because I didn't get that. Oh, this person shortchanged me. That person did this. And it was everybody else's fault. Right. So this is something I learned over the years. It was not something I grew up with. And you're right. And it's mindset and mindset. You have to enjoy the process because now I look back and I think about it and I say, shit, that should have been the best years of my life. But I was more focused on being miserable than I was enjoying it. Yeah. And that's like, I, I love that contrast, right? Because like I was on both sides. Like I, I had eight figures and I had no figures. Right. And, and the experience, like the experience internally was the same. So that's proof that really the, the experience is determined by our outlook on it. So it wasn't enough when I had nothing. It wasn't enough when I had everything. So what's the common denominator? We're technically like, I'm not enough. Right. Like really, that's what it is. Like people can create narratives because of lack because I have nothing. So that's why I'm enough and I'm worthless or I'm chasing so much. I still feel like I'm not enough. Maybe I just don't have enough. Or maybe like we said, you're just playing the wrong game and you're, you're looking at enoughness through the guise of something that's outside of you. Right. And you mentioned like taking personal responsibility and like, okay, I, I was the cause of both, you know, like in my own healings and, and with uh, like my own coaches and people that I've worked with, like one of the things that always resonated with me when, you know, one of my healers said it, she's like, uh, and I think it was actually, she was referencing a sad guru quote where it's like the hungry kids in Africa are my responsibility. And I first heard like, well, what do you mean? I didn't cause the hunger in Africa. I have no direct control over it. I have no direct cause. 
but I, I am able to respond. It is my responsibility of what that elicits in me, right? So if that elicits in me as it's like, oh my God, the world is horrible, it is my responsibility to take control of that narrative and decide, is that serving me? Is there a peaceful reason to continue with that narrative? If all I see is stress around me when I think that thought, is it actually worthwhile to keep that there? That's my choice. I can continue to do it or not. But once I have the observation and the choice and I've taken like responsibility for the hungry kids in Africa, now I can clear what needs clearing in here and decide I actually choose, you know, peace, gratefulness, whatever, uh, to, to move forward. So yeah, I agree with you hundred percent like that personal responsibility on the experience and realizing that it's never the circumstances. It's, it's always us that is causing the feeling. It's always our thoughts that cause the feeling uh, is, is a key part of it, of it all for sure. Yeah. And then see, that's the, what brings up my next point of something I've learned, right? Which is that, you know, I always believe your network equals your net worth. And where I'm going with this is that sometimes you're negative because you're around negative people and it's not their fault. It's your own. You know that every time you hang around Bob Smith, you're depressed. So it's a simple solution. It, it goes down to one simple statement, shut out the noise. And if Bob Smith brings you negative noise you gotta re release yourself from that right you are and a lot of time again the reason i blame yourself is not bob smith because you're giving out the negative vibe but that's allowing him to continue his negativity so it, you're accepting it and as long as you're accepting it they're going to continue it because that's your conversation that's that's that seems to be what makes you tick so that's what he's going to go on because everyone's trying to fit in with each other they're all trying to get along and understand each other so people go on your off your vibe so you're allowing that and that's the vibe you're giving that's the vibe they're bringing 100 i think there's so many different ways to uh interpret that right from like boundaries to what am i putting out what am i saying yes to um i guess what i would add to it is ultimately uh and, and like i use byron katie's work quite a bit in my own coaching in my own process but she talks about there's really only a three types of business, right? There's God's business, your business, and my business. So Bob Smith, whatever he says or does triggers something in me, right? He's very negative and I'm negative around him. So the more time I spend in Bob's business and seeing how Bob's negative and Bob's doing this and he's depressed, the less time I'm actually spending in my own business doing what I can do to release that. Because the reality is, factually, Bob just said X, Y, Z word. I interpreted that as being depressive, right? Because there exists a scenario where Bob can say the exact same thing. And I'd be like, Bob's being Bob. So it's actually my attachment to the story of what Bob's doing that is causing the current feeling, right? So Bob's words I'm interpreting as depressive. So that's essentially what I'm projecting to Bob. What Bob's doing is he's reflecting back to me is my thinking is actually depressive because Bob can only be what Bob is. He can only say the words that he says because he didn't say any other words. Those are facts. Everything beyond that is actually on me, right? Like if a two-year-old said the exact same thing, you'd be like, why is a two-year-old saying depressive things? Like why is a two-year-old sad? Kind of interested that a two-year-old said that. Kids will say, like there's so many other interpretations of what that two-year-old said but yet when Bob says it, now it's a completely different thing. So it really just comes down to, again, that responsibility bit of like, let's just say Bob's in our family and we're likely to like have to be around them at certain points, right? I can either be accepting of the way Bob is and be at peace with that, or I can leave, or I can do some combination thereof, but it's all on me. It's all on me to interpret and work through and clear and do what I need to do so that I am prioritizing my own peace, regardless of what Bob does. Because I think so many people, like when people show you who they are, believe them. And we seldom actually believe them. We're like, no, but like Bob can be different. If only Bob would say something else. Bob's not going to say anything else. Like Bob is who he is. And I don't control any of that. But I do control and I'm avoiding the control to execute the power of choice that I have to do what I need to do to be at peace with Bob. 100%. See, that's exactly the point, right? Like that, that we excuse things because we want certain things to be. 
And instead of focusing on ourselves and making us be what we want to be, we're using somebody else as our scapegoat and trying to transform them so you can blame. So it's like everything. You do something good. Look what I did. Something goes wrong. Look what Bob did to make me do that. Correct. Right? Yeah. It's natural human tendency. And the thing is, the moment we take that responsibility and acknowledgement is the moment we can start to change our own lives. Yeah. And it's allowing yourself to separate the circumstances from what I bring to the table, right? Like whatever Bob says or does is a circumstance because I have, it's, it's Bob's business. It's God's business. But so often we default to like, if only the circumstances would change and I would be happier, right? Like that if then sentiment, right? That is actually keeping you powerless because it's like, I need the circumstances to change so that I could be a certain way. When the reality is the circumstances are God's business, I need to look at how I change, like I can change myself and I need to look at, change how I look at the circumstances. At that point, I'm free to be who it is that I want to be in that moment. Right. See, you're into personal development, which is obviously for obvious reasons I can tell. Now, I don't know if you've ever followed or uh, heard about Jim Rohn. Mm -hmm. Yep. And he's got a one quote. Well, he's got two quotes that are like my favorite quotes, but one applies here. Um, which is don't wish it was easier, wish you were better. Correct. Yeah. hundred percent. Right? And that's kind of like when I talked about earlier, uh, like we talked about the emotional eating, right? Like don't try and like, like environmental things with regards to like eating and habits is, is a big thing, but it's like, you know, don't, don't wish that, you know, cookies didn't exist. Wish that I got better at the, you know, handling the sense of urgency to, to like eat them sense of, right right that is getting stronger uh with the like playing the game that you actually need to win which is i am better at managing myself and having trust with myself to honor the decisions that i made ahead of time yeah so that's exactly how you know i would interpret that and agree 100 percent. like it applies to absolutely everything right now here's the thing there's nothing wrong with cookies but you should be intentional about it when Correct. you're doing it because of emotion you're overdoing everything and you're screwing up your whole plan Correct. Doing things intentionally, you can actually control that. And you know what I mean? There's nothing wrong with it. If you want a cookie because you want a cookie, then have a damn cookie because you're yeah. going to accept the, the consequences of having that cookie because you made an intentional choice. Well, then it's, it's a choice that's honored with what I believe is my highest good. Like when I eat the cookie for emotional reasons, you got to be honest with the fact that I'm not eating this for my highest good. I'm actually eating this to stuff down what I don't want to face. Cool. If you want to keep doing that, but if you don't want to keep doing that, then the sentiment is I don't actually need to eat this cookie. I need to face the emotion. But if going back to gratitude, like if I want to have this cookie because it's like the best cookie, like it's a gourmet cookie or whatever, it can be even be an Oreo, but it's like, I really want to enjoy this in this time. Cool. Then that is actually you being grateful and in tune with your highest good at that time. Go right ahead. Like I have zero issues. Same thing against cookies, video games, like all of the like seeming vices. Right. But it, it is just how they're used that like it's the intention behind them that, that creates the difference. 100%. Now, when I stumbled earlier and I couldn't remember my question, I remember it now. Yeah. You were into the studio. You're into fitness, obviously, which is the whole reason you created that. Yeah. So, when you had to pivot, COVID hit, everything closed down. How did you maintain or did you? Uh, yes and no. So I didn't maintain because I was in such an emotional mess that like I gained a lot of weight. So for me, it was always like when I look back through pictures, I know exactly the mental state that I was in because the ones where I'm like heavier versus the ones where I'm lighter, like I know that's a reflection of my emotional state. So I actually gained it for those reasons. Um, now how I kind of got back to more of a normal baseline and how I maintained throughout, because I didn't actually stop doing the good habits. I just added a lot of the crappier habits to deal with those emotions. Right. And in that instance, what I would say for any, and this is more now talking of like habit level, like how do I just build habits that I want? So it could be, you know, meditating, working out, eating, whatever. I think so often we focus on improving the ceiling, right? So if you look at a graph of like, okay, here's my best and then here's my worst. So at the bottom of the graph is my worst. At the, at the 
top of the graph is my best. Somewhere in the middle, you're going to have the minimum. And I, I mean, I call it the floor. This is something I learned from a mentor of mine, Nick Peterson. So like, I have to give credit there. But he talks about raising the floor instead of trying to raise the ceiling. So there's a sexiness about, okay, like I hit my best month. I hit my highest revenue. I pulled the most weight. The irony of that is like, if it is your best, you shouldn't be able to do it every day because then it's actually not your best. And if you're trying to do it every day, then it's only a matter of time before you blow yourself up. So like, I can't pull my highest you know, weight off the ground every day because at some point I'm going to crack. I need the recovery to actually rebuild my strength, right? I can't have the highest discipline every time. Uh, otherwise, at some point I'm just going to crash and like eat everything afterwards. So when it comes to building healthier habits, I always tell people, focus on raising the floor. So what might that actually look like? So let's just take exercise because it's one that everybody can relate to and then it can give you a business example afterwards. So if I'm trying to like work out more, usually people set the goal of like, oh, I'm gonna go like three days a week, six days a week, whatever. They do that for a weekend, they crash. Why? Because they were probably trying to raise their ceiling. What if I made the goal to be, I'm gonna do 10 push-ups once a week? And you'd be like, that's ridiculous. Like, well, who's gonna get fitter doing 10 push-ups once a week? Probably nobody, but if I can build trust with myself, show myself evidence that for these three weeks, I hit that, now I have the option to raise that floor. So now I've gone from 10 push-ups a week to 10 push-ups twice a week. Do that for three weeks, prove it to yourself that you can do it, and then add to that. Like always focus on raising the floor because when you can get the floor to be closer to the ceiling, the floor by definition is something you can continue doing for life. So cumulatively and the compound effects of that effect. are going to surpass anything that you could do, like trying to like hit your max and then stopping and hit your max. Like anything multiplied by zero is zero, right? But even if you multiply by a very low number, it, it has a multiplicative effect. So that is the first thing that I would say for habit is like focus on raising the floor. And it's going to be the same thing for like business, right? Like if I need X reach outs to hit my client goals and I spent one week doing a hundred of them and then I crash and burn and do nothing for three weeks, can I do 10 a week consistently? Cool. That's going to get me more results uh, across the same span of time because I'm always maintaining that floor. So no matter what happens, I can hit those 10 reach outs a week because I've proven how already. And it's those compound effects that aren't sexy in the short term lead to sexy things that you like, it's hard to replicate uh, longer term. So that's what I would say for that. Right. Now, what was the pivotal moment, you know, when you hit that low, you know, from the, from, uh, you know, the, the crash and everything that happened, you hit that low. What was that pivotal moment that, that for, you just said to yourself, the hell with this, no more, I can't do this anymore. And then you just changed or started at least. So I would say I had one moment. I think for me, it was the accumulation of it. Like for me, my, my pattern is is not like fight or flight. It's not like I, I give up or it's not like I like fight back with like full fervor. Like for me, the default is actually freeze. And it's just like, it's almost like the, the equivalent of like the rock bottom. Like so many things had to like get in the way and like so many things were just stagnating that it's just like, I cannot handle nothing happening like i cannot handle the misery of being in this state where i'm just self-sabotaging myself and that was the combination of a bunch of different things like you know not doing the things that i know i could be doing like doing those numbing habits uh being in misery like all the time right like flirting with like suicidal thoughts and all those things which like this is not how i want to like live my life i need to switch this around Right. And then it was just it, it wasn't a switch. It was like that raising the floor like it was. Right. Well, yeah, right? You know, cutting out the cookies, cutting out uh, whatever. Right. Like it's just little by little. I agree with you. The person again doing something overnight like that never works. That's people trying the shortcut. Correct. Right. Correct. So it's compound effect. And that's the thing. It even goes. Let's let's get into fitness for a second. And I think that's why a lot of people fail in fitness because they're trying that same strategy. 
And fitness isn't, I'm going to go to the gym, I'm going to exercise, I'm going to eat properly. Great, I lost 20 pounds, now let's go back to the beer. The reason Fitness has to become a part of your lifestyle if you want it to actually give you the proper effects. So I think what people then, like, first of all, I agree with you that that, that is like the macro picture of where we need to go. Where I think people miss out on and why they jump to that whole, okay, I need to work out six days a week is they've never actually taken the step back and define, okay, so I have a style of my life that I want to live, that that is my lifestyle. What does that look like? If it doesn't look like I have time wanting or like any desire to work out six days a week, then don't choose a plan that's going to require you to work out six days a week. I am very busy and I have to drive my kids to soccer and whatever. And I have maybe like some time in between there and I have 20 minutes. Cool. Let's come up with a plan that you can do in 20 minutes, you know, maybe while you're out on the field watching your kid play soccer. That is your life because that's a style you want to live it at this and this time. Anything that goes against that, you're less likely to do. But if we can work within those confines, now we can make something like basically you want to make choices that you're willing to do for life right unless you have a specific event like if i want to join a bodybuilding competition okay that has a set date it's on this time i have to look a particular way i have to do particular things now i have to modify my life around that plan because it has a deadline but if i'm looking at my lifestyle i have to choose things that i'm willing to do for life i.e that floor Right. So that the worst case scenario is I can't hit my like ceiling. Doesn't matter. I keep hitting my floor. That's one step closer to the things that I ultimately want. Those are the things I need to keep choosing, the things that I'm willing to do for life that I've proven to myself that I can make maintain over time, even if they don't look sexy, because compounding never looks sexy early on. It looks sexy, you know, a, a long time afterwards. But it's choosing the things I do for life that are going to be the key part there. 100%. And look, I'm even going to use the gym as an example again, because I love making fun of the gym. because It's my weakness. Um, now, I'll give you an example. Pre-COVID, I had a routine. Obviously, during COVID, I'm not going. For obvious reasons. Closed most of it. Besides that. So you break the habit, break the routine. Now, it's been open again for what, two weeks now? Maybe three weeks? I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Well, my habit is not going. Right. So now I know if I say I'm going to go Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and that's going to be my routine, I'm going to fail each time because that was the way I started three weeks ago. I'm going to start going Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I'm going to get up at 530. I'm going to be at the gym by six. Guess what? I got up at 530. And what did I do? I went to get my coffee. I didn't go to the gym. So I realized exactly what you're saying. You got to do raise that floor. So I'm not going to do it three times a week or at least not right now. So guess what? One time a week. Did I do it? Yes. Eventually, when I'm used to getting one time a week, I'll encourage myself to do two times a week until I'm back to my routine. Yeah, that's a perfect example of exactly, you know, what I was talking about right now. And what I would add to your first part about, okay, pre-COVID, I had a routine and like this was my routine. The reason it failed afterwards was because in that routine was rooted, the only way I can get this done is... Like there was a narrative of the only way this happens is if I can go to the gym. Correct. So it's my narrative of success is rooted in the circumstance, not in, you know, what I think about myself and what I get done. Right. Because you have a backyard, you have a basement, you can buy dumbbells. Like there was obviously options of things you could do right now, but internally your brain's default was, I need the gym. Like if I have gym, then I can do this. Gym goes away, then therefore I can't do it, which is what you experience, right? So right. That, that's a perfect example we talked about before. Like, are you playing the wrong game? Like I'm playing the game of I need the gym to work out. That game falls apart when the gym ceases to exist. And as I COVID, it could be other reasons, right? I'm oh, no, you're absolutely right. Absolutely, so, 100%. Now, ironically, after everything I just said, I'm using the gym while my membership is active. But exactly what you just said is my intent. I want to build it in my basement. I mean, look, I, I live in 1,700 square foot on the main floor and upstairs. And I got an empty basement, which is probably another 1,000 square feet or 900 square feet. That's just empty. Yeah. 
So why am I relying on a gym? Why am I paying monthly fees for a gym when I can just get my dumbbells, get myself, you know, put some pads on the floor and have a routine, a regiment where I can do in my own home. And that ex- takes away the excuse of having to leave, right? That I'm going to create for myself. Yeah. Because I have no excuses now. Who says I can't work out? You know what? I got my show on at 9 p.m. Who says I can't just turn on my show on the TV downstairs while I'm running the treadmill? Right. Well, not in who says it, like you say it. No, no. But you know what I'm saying, right? Like it's one of those things that if I, if that's what it's going to take, why not just do it? Right? Correct. I, I agree. And I believe it. it's all, again, it goes back to what you said. It's all on yourself. And Again, shutting out the noise, eliminating the excuses, and just getting on board and doing it. If it's important to you, you're just going to do it. Well, and so what I would, and and this happens all the time, even in my own coaching, right? Like, we often talk about things in the second person. You would do it, you do this, et cetera. Yeah. Replace the you with I. Right. Right. 100%. Right. That goes back to that Bob conversation. Right. Bob's depressive you need to do this you need like we're always good at projecting advice but really when reflected back it's a thing that we need to be doing that takes a lot of like practice to be able to have that awareness and the humility to be like oh shit like I actually need to do this right so it's easier said than done but oftentimes when we're talking about the other the external the circumstance moving the connection and look back it's like oh I could do that, right? 100%. Yeah. So now I was going to ask you, what would you recommend to someone who is, for whatever reason, they're miserable at the job. They don't like what they're doing. They want to make a change. Maybe something during this pandemic happened where the work isn't the same and they feel they want to do something, but they don't want to just go and get another job. They want to create something for themselves, but they're on the fence and unsure. What advice would you give them? So, I think I would preamble it with it depends because I think every single like the most honest answer is it depends, right? Because without knowing the individual's things, um, I don't know. So really what I'm answering at is like, what would I do in that situation with what I know? So that given said, I think one of the things if somebody is in that situation, what I would caution them for is the narrative of like burning bridges. And what I mean by that is like, screw this, I don't want this job, I'm just gonna quit, I'm gonna make it happen no matter what. Yeah, that's cool. And usually the stories we hear of that working have an element of survivorship bias. Like you don't hear the thousands of stories that it didn't work for, but you hear the one or two that it did work for. So it's like, do you wanna play that game of Russian roulette? Uh, I was in that situation when I started my first business and it, it wasn't the funnest initially because I quickly realized it's a lot harder to make money out of nothing than you know having a paycheck. So what I would first venture if somebody is in that position where they have a job and they want to do something else, start to figure out how you can make that something else happen in the hours that you're not working. And that I think is going to allow for a lot of skills to be built up that you're going to need later on. How do I set boundaries? How do I tell my job, like, I can't work overtime because, you know, I need this. Like, you don't have to tell them I need this extra time to do this thing. But, like, go through the discomfort of having those discussions. Be very selective with what things you need to actually get done. Because what you realize, if you go from a job to an entrepreneurial setting, you are your own boss, which means you're going to get stuck in these loops where you're just doing busy work. And that's not leading to anywhere. You have less likely... The chances of that happening when you're like, I only have like two hours to work on this thing. Otherwise, I'm going to be exhausted. So you can be very selective at what it is you actually need to get done to move the needle forward. You're going to start learning all of those skills that isn't on somebody like that aren't dependent on it working. So you have more of like a inquisitive, curious nature and they can take more hypotheses and test what's actually working without the stress of needing, uh, you know, the other side, like needing the paycheck. And you're gonna get really good at like working at off hours, being your own like intentional, like discipline and working through these things, saying no to social things so you can get the job. Like there's a lot of skills that can be built in those off hours that I think isn't talked about as much because it's less sexy than the, just quit your job now and like do the thing. So you can learn so much in just getting the ball rolling in those off hours without the stress, which is the biggest one is going to be the financial bit. Like 
that spirals into all of these like worthiness things, et cetera, that you don't necessarily need to go through um, if you have that cushion, right? And the alternative is, if you don't want to do that, then make sure to have like, you know, six months worth of money saved in the bank from your job and then do the quitting. I would still do it with the job because it's like you build up all these other skills. It's not just about the financial nest egg. Uh, but that would be my big one is is get get your feet wet when you have the support and do the extra work required to do it the harder way in terms of like time and energy. Because you're going to have to learn those things when you have the pressure of having to make your own money. I think take eliminate that pressure and actually just focus on, on the skill set surrounding it is, is a much smoother way to go, even if it doesn't look like that in the short term. Absolutely. Boom. Mic drop. We're done. I'm checking out. <laughs> that was awesome. That's like a really good answer. Thank so, you. But I do want to be respectful of your time. And um, yeah, because uh, yeah, I want to be respectful of your time. So do you have any last words or and how would uh, my uh, viewers or listeners uh, find you? Uh, I mean, no, really last words like I I'm an open book in terms of like, if you ask me a question, like I'll give you what I think. So it's not, not like there's anything that I felt like was missing from this conversation. Um, if somebody resonated with regards to anything that I said, like you're, you know, hearts an entrepreneur, you're under the 10 K uh, per month mark. Um, you resonate with a lot of the like deeper subjects we talked about. Like it's not like I haven't mentioned like one marketing tactic, but we got into a lot of things of why the marketing tactics don't work. So if you find yourself, you're in that, like, I'm pressing the brakes like on my success or I see some success, but I'm not really like getting the traction I need. Uh, even though I've done the tactical marketing work, uh, then I'm your guy and you can find all of that at 10K Norm, either to apply for the program or to actually like listen to the podcast. It's all at 10knorm.com. So that would probably be the best way for people to get in touch with me if they resonate with any of those pieces. Fantastic. I want to thank you for being on the show. Very welcome. It was uh, it was a pleasure. So I'm happy to be here. Perfect. Awesome. We'll talk again soon. Sounds good.